Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Stakuyi. And I'm Gabby. And welcome back, as I said, to the history of everything. How are you doing tonight, my hoes? <laughs> Always so fun to introduce it as that. Now, we have talked about a lot of dumb things. Like last time we talked about uh, dumb laws, like the weird laws and how they came to existence and all that. But we really got into more morbid subject there at the end. You know, China and controlling people in the afterlife. And then what? the very next episode, you went on to Little Pileski. Yeah, we really went into the dark stuff. So we, we've talked about the kind of funny. We've talked about the kind of dark. How about just the dumb? Because there are so many dumb ways. Now, admittedly, they're all horrible, really. But they are also really dumb ways that people have died in history. Like, okay, Gab, do you, do you remember that train safety video that was made back in Australia with little cartoons and the song? Like, you know what I'm talking about, the dumb ways to die song. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that thing went viral back in 2012, and that generated a huge media storm at the time. Like, it got really big It because of an ad. It got its own game. It got everything. Well, in history... There are many, many dumb ways that people have managed to unalive themselves over the past several millennia. So I figured that we should go into this. Now, I'm going to start this on a low note. Please do not cry. <laughs> Because this whole thing is really dumb, but I know, especially when we talked about military animals and that kind of thing, that this is probably one that would get get you. So I chose this one as the first one to talk about, specifically because I wanted to start low and really build ourselves up. So we can only go up from here. Exactly. This is the story of Murderous Mary. So, as I said, let's start out with a bang. Or rather, in this case, I should say a... Hang. And that's going to be a horrible pun that you'll probably understand what I mean here later. So, Gabby, I know, as I said, you hate that pun, but we are going to hate this part even next. You see, all the deaths that we are going to cover in here are not necessarily human. This is the story of Mary the Elephant, a.k.a. Murderous Mary. Now, Mary's story begins in the late 19th century with a man by the name of Charlie Sparks. He was a performer at the age of eight. Sparks would go on to own his own famous circus called the Sparks World Famous Show, which was a traveling circus featuring clowns, acrobats, lions, and other exotic animals such as elephants, which among them included Mary. Now, Sparks' father had purchased Mary when she was only four years old, and Charlie and his wife, Addie Mitchell, would go on to raise her, treating her like 
the child that they had never actually had. Aww. Her nickname, Big Mary, was really well earned. Like, she was touted as the largest living land animal on Earth and was a five-ton Asian elephant. She stood taller than the popular Barnum and Bailey star Jumbo, which was famous for his, like, size and for his height. And she was bigger than him by about three inches or so. She played musical instruments. She stood on her head. She would catch baseballs. Like, she was a gentle giant that she amazed crowds all over the country. This build-up kind of sucks because you know she dies. Well, well, maybe. Maybe, yeah. But we'll see how. Mary was, without a doubt, the company's star attraction. She drew many spectators to Spark Show for years. But... Unfortunately, she would expire on their way to Virginia. On September 11th, which is always a horrible date for us to go into in the first place, but this was in 1916, there was a homeless man by the name of Red Eldridge, and he actually landed a job as a transient hotel clerk and was hired as an elephant keeper by the Sparks World Famous Circus. He was killed by Mary in Sullivan County, Tennessee, in the following evening. The very next day, his second day at work as a elephant carekeeper, he was killed. Although unqualified, Eldridge led the elephant parade. Like, he had no experience with animals whatsoever, so they just picked this homeless man up off the street and said, hey, you're going to take care of the elephants, and you're going to lead them in the parade. So he was riding atop Mary's back, and Mary, as I said, was the star of the show, so she was walking at the very front. There have been several accounts of his death, but this one right here is the most popular, most accepted. So as I said, despite his lack of experience, the circus had hired Eldridge as an underkeeper. That is the person that is responsible for the elephant's basic maintenance, such as feeding them, watering them, just generally taking care of them. Now, circus employees had trained, and I mean that kind of loosely because literally how much training could you get over the course of one day? They trained Eldridge to handle his herd with gentle care that Sparks had insisted that his handlers use. It it seems that from the accounts that this particular circus didn't actually have many of the negative connotations that circuses really have towards animal treatment. Like, you know, nowadays there's all these stories about these horror shows of circus animals being mistreated. Sparks' show didn't really have that. Like, they treated their charges very well. But that training and gentle care seemed to go right out the window, as I said, on his second day of work. When the star performer stopped abruptly to reach for a discarded watermelon rind that was there on the side of the road, Eldridge went against orders and began smacking her with his makeshift whip, digging its hooks into her flesh, like right there behind her head. Mary snapped. Reaching back behind her head with her trunk, some reports say that Mary grabbed Eldridge, lifted him up in the air, and then slammed his body onto the ground before using her massive foot to crush his head, killing him instantly. Others claim that the elephant went on on to impale the man with her tusks, while still others state that she merely whipped him around the head with her trunk before landing a fatal blow that killed him. 
In spite of these competing stories, one thing is for certain. The town of Kingsport sought justice for Eldridge's death. At that same time when all this was going on, several shots from a spectator's gun like went out from the crowd. So some spectator pulled out a handgun and tried to shoot the elephant to stop her from going on a rampage. But it didn't kill her. Obviously not. It's an elephant. I know. It's a handgun. And it's a tiny little handgun. And they're like, oh, yeah, five shots from this is going to bring down what is likely at that time the world's largest Asian elephant. Yeah, it did not work. But the crowd at the end of this only became angrier, shouting, kill the elephant, kill the elephant, before chaining her outside of the county jail. More onlookers gathered to witness the great murderous Mary, as she was now known. News of the killing spread fast, and the Sparks clan had a sh- well, they had to do something. They really had to do something, because they, they literally had a show in nearby Irwin that evening, but the town was forbidding them from actually leaving, and, well, not leaving, from entering that if they had Mary, because now the town knew that, you know, she had killed a person. So with the crowd heading to Kingsport to kill his beloved pachyderm, Sparks had to make a very tough decision. Despite the close emotional bond that the two had shared for years, Sparks severed that relationship in a way that he could at least try to salvage his business. And that was by staging a public execution. This decision left Sparks with the difficult task of trying to figure out how the hell were they going to execute a 10,000-pound animal? Bullets already were not working because, you know, the spectator had tried to shoot this elephant from the crowd and it didn't do anything. They didn't really have any guns that would be big enough that they could just use. So some people even suggested crushing her between two trains. Like, literally laying her head down on the tracks and having two trains ram it. There are some messed up ways that they suggested this. Others pushed for a more macabre approach by tying her front and back legs to two trains that instead of crushing her, were going to go in opposite directions and pull her apart while she was still alive. As rural Tennessee lacked enough power to electrocute her, they decided that the best way was to just try and hang her, which would both satisfy the need to kill her and the bloodlust that was driving the town of the pand- into pandemonium. The next day, Sparks' world-famous shows entered the town of Irwin, ready to hang their star pupil from a 100-ton crane that was located on the railroad tracks. Followed by four other elephants walking tail to trunk as they did in countless shows, Mary entered the so-called gallows, where circus employees fitted a chain around her neck. The chain, which was attached to the crane, would hoist her into the air. But, just like the bullets, the first chain did not work. After lifting her only five feet in the air, the chain snapped, sending the elephant falling back to the ground and breaking her hip in the process. Circus employees wrapped a second chain around her as she lay there in pain and lifted her once again while she shrieked and thrashed about before finally going limp. Now, honestly, what I've described here is genuinely... Yes, it's absolutely goddamn awful. And it wasn't her fault. No, no, no. And this is where it's going to get even worse. Like, this is the really dumb part. Because what I've described is more horrifying than anything. And so you're probably wondering, why the hell am I telling you this story? It's not really dumb, maybe for the except 
mention of the fact that they gave a homeless guy the job of taking care of this elephant. But it gets worse from there. Remember how this whole thing started because Mary was hit by this, like, whip or bull hook while she was just trying to eat a watermelon? Yeah. Okay, well, a veterinarian examined Mary after the hanging and determined that she had a severely infected tooth at the precise spot where Red Eldridge had hit her, which would send this gentle giant into a rage. So because of Red's stupidity, not only did he get himself killed, but also Mary. Like, this was a gentle giant that had no reason to hate anyone. She could have probably been hit with a bull hook because they used bull hooks to prod elephants all the time. So there was really no reason for it to do so except for he hit her really hard at a spot where she already had an infected tooth in her jaw. And that's why we hate the circus. Yeah. So that that's why that is dumb. Uh, on the side note, there was another animal one that I wanted to discuss, but this is where I said, like, that's arguably the darkest dumb one that I wanted to start off with from the very beginning. Gee, thanks. Yeah, I know, I know. But it's going to get kind of better from here, because this next one is really more comical. It's going to get better from here. Yes. Talking about death. Yes. At least more entertaining for some people. That first one was probably just horrifying. So as I said, on a lighter note, there was a cow that blew up. <laughs> you know, you can see your face. You're just looking at me like, why the hell are we talking about explosive cows right now? But get this. It <laughs> blew up after eating a bomb in Australia. And I actually got the newspaper, like the newspaper article here from 1932, which was from the Townsville Daily Bulletin. And someone was just asking, like, the literal title of this was, was it suicide? <laughs> like, <laughs> a moose cow's end. And I'm going to read this verbatim because this is exactly what it says. Our Cardwell correspondent writes, I heard of a queer accident the other day which fell to the lot of a Kennedy Creek farmer. I think that it was, uh, I think that it will take some beating for the queer accident stakes. This farmer was sitting, milking a cow, and while he was doing so, the beast was standing very contentedly chewing her cud. Suddenly, the peace of the scene was disturbed by a loud explosion, and the result was a dead cow, with a portion of her head blown off and a milkman who was knocked out by the shock. Now, mind you, the milkman survived. Apparently, the cow had picked up a detonator while grazing in the paddock, and it exploded while she was chewing her cud. At a moment like that, one would ever need more minties. I don't really know what that means, but that's what we have there. A repetition of an experience like that would hardly be possible in the ordinary course of events. So basically this cow, I don't know how this would happen, but somewhere in the context of this, this cow just relaxing in its paddock, ate something, some kind of device that was explosive. And while it was then being milked, its stomach set off the detonator and it blew up. It didn't kill the milkman. It just knocked him unconscious. But I don't know how that would happen. There, there's just some things that are supposed to happen for a reason. You'd think so. It sounds like a Looney Tune episode, like a really well, dark Looney Tunes there episode. There was a comment on that TikTok video about the Great Molasses Flood that was like, wow, if you died in this, then you really were meant to go. It's one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. 
I can only imagine that. But, but okay, we looked at animals, and I know this is not where you like to start off from the very beginning for animals, but that's why I wanted to get that out of the way for deaths. Let's go ahead now and look at some human stupidity, and also from that knowledge, bad luck. Now, humans have managed to unalive themselves in dumb ways throughout all of history. The us of now are really not all that different from 1 AD. Like, and that's not just in the case of debts. I, I, I've covered this before, and I know I'm going to make it, but if you've ever looked at ancient graffiti, like, there's literally graffiti that Vikings put in places that just say, like, Sven was here. And that's that. Ancient Roman soldiers used to draw penises on walls. Like when they were bored. Like you just find these phallic-shaped drawings that are on walls. Why? Because they were bored. And much like students nowadays that get bored, they draw penises on their desks. So too did Roman soldiers at their guard posts. <laughs> like we're really not that different. And I'm going to give you an example of that. Or rather two. So there were two deaths that we have here that were stupidly dramatic. More so than they had any right to be. Hey everyone, Sakuya here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The first one is an old one. Periander of Greece. Tyrant of Corinth. In the course of the late 7th and 6th century, when Greece was experiencing rapid social and political change, many Greek towns were ruled by tyrants or sole rulers. Like, we look at Greece and we think, okay, these guys were, you know, democracies for the most part. But no, Greece was a remarkably varied place. Like, they had democracies, like in the case of Athens, they had oligarchies where Sparta, yes, it had two kings, which was a very interesting system in the first place, but it was primarily an oligarchy where it was ruled by a couple elites. And then you had just single, like singular rulers, and these were called tyrants, which we use tyrant nowadays to mean a oppressive ruler who rules by authoritarian measures. But in that case, like in history, tyrant did not mean that. It just meant the ruler, the sole ruler, the authoritarian power that was in place. So you could have a good tyrant or you could have a bad tyrant, much in the same case as you have like dictators. So often these men were aristocrats who had usurped extra powers, sometimes relying on a group of wealthy like riches that they had or wealthy supporters. Though, as I said, this word tyrant sounds very negative to us, but that wasn't really the case in ancient Greece. It could be negative, but it didn't necessarily have to be. Now, the tyrant of Corinth, Periander, was a respected man, and he was reckoned to be among the seven sages of ancient Greece. His rule started in 627 BC, and it lasted about 40 years. That is a long time for a ruler to be in charge. Like, you got to think, a bunch of rulers were in charge for literally less than a year sometimes, sometimes only a few years. That is a long time. And his rule saw a great economic boom. 
He appointed his son, Lycophron, as the tyrant of Corsera, which had become an important trade partner. He also built the Diaclos, which was the portage across the Isthmus, and he allied his town to the rich city of Miletus. He was the patron of several artists, such as the poet Arian. And unfortunately, he survived all of his children, with the exception of Lycophron. When he asked him to become his successor, the Corsarians killed Lycophron. Periander retaliated by sending the sons of the Corsarians to Lydia, where they became eunuchs at the court of King Aliades. So this guy basically was like, man, you killed my kid? Well, guess what? I'm going to make sure that all of your children become slaves that cannot have children by cutting off their balls. That's what that is? Yeah, eunuch. You know, that there's... It's only that part, not the whole thing? No, there's actually multiple types of eunuchs. So there are eunuchs where the entirety of the genitalia is removed, and then there's eunuchs where uh, only the testicles are removed. Like, there is actually different types, and they have sometimes different degrees for it here for what they would do. Wow. We should do a podcast episode on that. No, we could do an entire thing on eunuchs. I'm not even kidding. There are so many things throughout history, whether it's the Ottoman eunuchs, the Chinese eunuchs. Like, there was an entire point where eunuchs basically ran the Chinese empire. So we turned dogs into eunuchs? That's kind of messed up. You do the same thing for horses. So a male horse that had been, uh, like, you know how a stallion is a male horse that has his testicles. A gelding is a horse that has, a male horse that has been gelded, uh, made a eunuch. How did I not know that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm in Kentucky, so we know quite a bit about horses for it there. But even then, maybe that's um, maybe that's just my own knowledge for random things. <laughs> but needless to say, because I know we're going off the tangent for it here. This guy, according to historians at the time, and those historians were a lot of the nobles that he had really pissed off by apparently being a tyrant. He was a man with a lot of enemies. So Diogenes Lit- uh, Laterius or Latias, I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. This guy was a Greek biographer, and he preserves a peculiar story concerning how Periander actually died. And it's one of many stories about Periander that we generally don't really think that it's historically accurate, but I wanted to talk about it because it's really entertaining. Like, in this case, one might actually wonder who would have been left alive to know that this was his original goal. Like, this is what he wanted to do. So, the story goes that Periander did not wish to live in a place where he was going to be buried and people would know where he was buried because he had a lot of enemies and they didn't want them to desecrate his grave and basically, you know, just ruin everything and leave a bad legacy for him. You know, worse than the legacy that he apparently already had. I'm not really sure why that is the case, but grave desecration is something huge to people, even nowadays. And in ancient times, it was even worse. So he hatched a plot. He ordered two young men to go out at night by a certain road and that he had pointed out to them, and they were going to kill the first man that they met there and bury him. Afterwards, he ordered four more men to go out in pursuit of those two men that he initially hired, kill them, and then bury them. And then again, after those four men, he ordered a larger number to go after those four men and kill and bury them. Having taken these measures, he then walked himself out onto the road and let himself be killed. Like he committed suicide by arranging his own murder. And the murder of... Many others. Yeah. So this was a suicide. 
in the form of an assassination that was covered up by murder, that was then covered up by lots of murder. And I mean, this whole story may be, and honestly is more than likely fabricated. Good. Yeah, it's more than likely fabricated. But if you look at some of the deaths of people in history, especially like recent history, then while this may just be a fabrication, I firmly believe that someone would be capable of doing this. Which brings me to my second dramatic death. And this one is this is real. Like, this is a genuine thing that we know for a fact happened. And you're going to like this one. I'm going to like this okay, one. Maybe you're not going to like this one. But this is the Trinidad one that I was telling you about. I, so I never gave you the details for what it was, but this is the a famous death that occurred in Trinidad, where your family is from. There's just a lot of famous deaths that have occurred there. Yeah, but this Be one was... specific. Well, this one was for, for an American. There's a lot of stupid deaths by Americans <laughs> that don't respect the land that happens there. Well, this guy didn't respect an airplane. Yeah, Americans <laughs> tend to do that. Let's get into this. So... And I have a news article here for here that I'm going to read. A tourist on vacation killed himself by stripping naked and throwing himself into the engine of a plane due to a lack of medication. What medication? I don't know. I don't know for it here. I think I had it written in. I'm going to check. So it's this thing is not really believable at all, but it's a real thing that happened. So there was an American citizen by the name of Daniel John O'Brien who died in a bizarre manner at the age of 31 in Port of Spain, which was, you know, the capital of if Trinidad and Tobago. he died by airplane, it was actually Piarco. Port of Spain is the capital city, but they say you fly out of Port of Spain, but you don't. You fly out of Piarco International Airport. Well, maybe that's what it is. In January of 1990, he was said to have scaled an airport wall in the nude. He attacked four security guards, stole their four-wheel drive vehicle, (laughs) and then rammed himself into the engine of an airplane. Bruce McKenzie, which was the consul of the American embassy in Trinidad, claimed that O'Brien drove the four-wheel drive to the British Airways 747 jet. He then climbed out of the wreckage after he had crashed it, smeared grease all over his bleeding shoulder, and then hurled himself into one of the plane's engines that was actively spinning, shredding him. An airport security official at the time said, nobody ever thought in their wildest dreams that this is what he was going to do. He was a landscaper who lived in Russell, Illinois, and reportedly was staying with a friend at the Bel Air Hotel, which borders one of the runways at, as you said, Piarco International Airport, which is just outside of the port of Spain. The tragic holidaymaker was on holiday with his friend, David Meyer, who said that he was awakened around 10.30 p.m. at night by someone trying to choke him with a lamp. He fought off O'Brien, who then ran out of the hotel in the nude. Mackenzie said that the police actually had me driven or that the police told me that he had actually driven off the crash into one of the engines around 150 meters. So he drove around 150 meters away and then got out of the vehicle and then ran back just like sprinting into the plane and then dove into it like some kind of crazy ass movie. Were those meds by any chance? I for mental health reasons. More than likely. There's got to be something. Otherwise, there's really no way. And it doesn't give us the details. It just says that a family friend said that the tragedy unfolded after O'Brien could not find medication for a unspecified health problem. Former neighbor Sonia Kakur said that it was a medical, a health problem. Now, 
you cannot tell me after hearing that that humans are not capable of some wild stuff. Like, that story about Periander is unbelievable, but so is this. Like, you would not believe that someone would do that. So I firmly believe, despite the complexity and stupidity of it, that that story of Periander is actually possible. There's, like, pharmacies. He knows that. Like, there's lots of pharmacies. There are. Yeah, but maybe it wasn't his specific medication that was available. Hell, you've talked about this in Trinidad where different things like, oh, certain food items or certain things are just not available because they have to wait for the shipment to come in. Yeah, you just import it. Yeah, so maybe it was like that. Maybe it was a thing for medication. There's just so much to unpack there. I know. But there's a lot of more dumb ways that people have died. Like, for example, and I'm going to talk about this. This is going to be a very long, not tangent, but it's going to shoot off into completely different things. For example, do you know just how many people have died on the toilet in history? The answer is a lot, like a lot more than you would actually think. Like Elvis Presley is one of them, and he's very famous for this, but there are way too many deaths. So let's take, for example, the death of Edmund II of England or Edmund Ironside. Edmund Ironside was briefly the king of England in 1016 AD. He was the son of Ethelred, who was known to history as the Unready. And I've actually done a whole series of videos on this guy. I know we're going off on a tangent of it here, but I love epithets in history. And I kind of want to do an entire podcast dedicated to all the varying epithets that people have and how they managed to get that. Ethelred the Unready, and I make that as a joke because, oh, he was literally unready to rule. He was not ready to do anything as a man in charge, but it can also be translated as poorly advised. So it's like he wasn't necessarily a bad ruler, but his ministers and people that were helping him were absolute trash. So it made his rule horrible. But that, that, that that's another story for another time. So as I said, he was the son of Ethelred and the Saxon monarch was forced from his throne in 1013 by a Danish invasion that was led by the Danish Viking Svein Forkbeard. Now, when Svein had died the following year, Ethelred returned from exile, but he had to contest the kingdom with Svein's son, which was King uh, Knut or Knut. There's actually a, a number of different ways I guess you can pronounce this. I kind of prefer, since the spelling is C-N-U-T, to just say the pronunciation of Knut. So that's what I'm going to say. Edmund had three brothers, Ethelston the eldest of Ethelred's son, who died in 1014, leaving Edmund as his father's heir. He also had the brothers of uh, Edred and Egbert. So these were like half-brothers, Edward and Alfred, from his father's second marriage to Emma of Normandy. Now, the head of House Wessex, Edmund was altogether a very different ruler from his weak and decisive, indecisive father. Edmund immediately entered into a power struggle with his father, Ethelred, towards the end of, it, uh, of Ethelred's reign. Ethelred II had executed two of his son's followers, Sigfirth and Morcar. Defying his father's wishes, Edmund then married Sigfirth's widow, Edith, adopting... He literally abducted her from a nunnery. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. To do so. He acquired the nickname Ironside on the account of his legendary great strength and his massive resistance to Danish rulers. On his father's death in 1016, Witten elected Svein as king, but the Londoners proclaimed Edmund and he was crowned King of England at St. Paul's Cathedral on the 14th of April, 1016. Edmund then put up a heroic and valiant stand against the Viking invaders. Soliciting aid from Londoners, he raised the siege of the city. And then he met Canute in the battle at Assingdoon. But due to the treachery of Edric Streona, the elderman of Mercia, the Danes were victorious. The two armies faced each other again in Gloucestershire, where Edmund challenged Canute to fight him in single combat. This would be in an attempt to limit the loss of life to decide the issue. But the Danish king argued that Edmund's great size and strength made it a very unfair competition. Like, this was going to be a David and Goliath situation. Like, Canute as a Viking, like, they were on average were typically bigger than the Englishmen that they were raiding. But Edward II, like, the, the Ironside was huge. Like, he was a big guy. So this was going to be a whole David and Goliath scenario here that he did not want to go in. So what he instead proposed was a compromise that they partition the kingdom, so they divide it between them. Edmund would retain Wessex, Essex, East Anglia, and London. And this agreement would remain in force until the death of one of the participants in the treaty, at which time all lands would revert to the survivor. So basically it was along the lines of like, okay, okay, we're both going to be kings at our different, you know, parts. But when one of us dies, the other one is just going to get the rest and we're going to stop fighting because there's no point in us killing each other over this matter. Like, it just, it kind of makes sense for it here. But that is also a treaty that, especially when divided in sons in history with a type of succession called gavel kind, opened it up to a whole host of problems and intrigue and murder, which might have happened here. I've played CK2. I know what this means. Yes, you have. Though you usually fix this issue by assassinating every single opponent that you went up against. That's how you secure power. Yeah. Every leader wants to secure power. I just do it the best. Yeah, which that really is history. So only a month later, after this was determined, Edmund Ironside died in what we would likely think of as being suspicious circumstances. Now, what do I mean? Well, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle only observes that Edmund died on St. Andrew's Day and was buried with his grandfather, the King Edgar, at Glastonbury. So it gives no details as to the location of the manner of his death. And the later sources provide varying information on both. Some sources say that he died in Oxford, which was near the northern border of his very diminished kingdom. Others say that it was in London, which was occupied by Danish warships. We don't 
know for certainty the cause of his death, and it might have been from natural causes. Like, he died at the end of a year that saw continuous fighting, like just six weeks after a heroic performance at the Battle of Asendun. So it's very possible that he succumbed to an existing wound. Maybe something was infected or it was internal bleeding. But mind you, the man was just in his mid-20s at the time. So it is also very likely that it was due to something completely different. Like this is a very simple explanation that I've given, and it didn't appeal to a lot of the contemporaries that were writing this, as well as later medieval historians. Within a few decades, and perhaps maybe in the first decade, his death was being blamed on Edric Striona, which was, as I said, that was one of his commanders, that Mercian elderman that was famously disloyal. You see, Edric had betrayed Edmund in the past and switched allegiance between the Danes and the English and then back again more than once. Like, this guy wasn't just a snake. He was a vicious snake that betrayed Edmund. He betrayed Canute. He just, he went back and forth, just constantly switching his alliances for who he would actually support. So it was, he was not exactly well-liked. Like, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle regularly highlights his betrayals, and the post-conquest sources blackened his already bad name by crediting him with a whole host of extra crimes, including, but not limited to, St. Bryce's Day Massacre, the murder of Svein Forkbeard's sister, Grunhild, the death of St. Elphe, the English defeat in more than one battles against the Danes, as well as, finally, the murder of Edmund. As for how he potentially murdered his lord, authors in the 12th century tell a pretty wild story. So, supposedly, an assassin waited for the young lord to go and relieve himself in the privy. While he was defecating, the assassin that was hiding below reached up and stabbed him multiple times in the rear and the stomach with a blade. Other versions say that the assassin actually used a crossbow in the same position and I'll be honest with you, I am not sure which one I would really count as worse, but in the end, the young king died at the tender age of 26. Now, mind you, I'm 26 at the time that we are recording this. You're almost 27. I know I'm almost 27. You're not even 26 Literally anymore. in a month, less than a month, and I will be 27, but right now I am still 26, so give that to me at least. So I'm not exactly sure what I should feel from this. But it is, it's not a death that I would like to go. It's like, I want you to imagine this. You're sitting there taking a shit. You are the one of the greatest heroes, arguably, that England has ever seen or will see for many years. Like, you are a basis by which people will frame themselves off of. And you're sitting there taking a shit on a toilet. You're sore and tired from your wounds from battle. And some guy who's hiding inside your toilet just reaches up with a knife and stabs you right in the butthole. And then multiple times in the stomach. I can't imagine that because girls do not poop. Stabs you right in a completely different place. (laughs) Okay, yes. The other situation in this is using a crossbow to, you know, skewer him from the rear. But that is, uh, that's also highly unpleasant to think about. Now, there have been a lot of other weird deaths, as I said, from people on toilets that have actually died in kind of fairly similar circumstance. Like the most famous one that we know of in this case. The tower. 
Remember when they took the tower because he was oh, shit, that, that one's in there. It one's in there. Oh, I got yes, it. Yes, I do have that one. Uh, for a second, I was there confused. But yes, the tower one is coming up. And I'm glad that you remember that because that one is a great story to tell for it. The most famous one that we know of, though, especially because a lot of people are not going to know ancient history or medieval history. They're going to know more modern stuff. The most famous recent one is likely Elvis Presley. So the poor boy from Mississippi is one of many examples of how fame can corrode and absolutely ruin someone's soul. He rapidly went from being a truck driver to the world's most famous entertainer. And then the pressures of stardom rapidly took their toll on him. Like if you've if you've seen the photos of him, you saw what press like Elvis was like. He went from this absolute eye candy, gorgeous boy that everyone wanted to be with to a severely overweight, drug-ridden alcoholic that just... He still did shows, but he lost basically all of the splendor that he had. Like, he looked, at the age of 42, 15 years older than he actually was. Like, he was ravaged by all of his drug abuse. He was bloated. It was caused by an out-of-control pill habit. And his fiance Ginger Alden, found him dead in the bathroom floor, covered in vomit, with his pajamas around his ankles. He had fallen off the toilet while reading a book called The Scientific Search for the Face of Jesus. The official cause of death has been listed as cardiac arrhythmia, but since his autopsy report was sealed, we don't really know if that was the official official cause until it's, you know, unlocked in 2027. It's suspected that he likely died of a heart attack while straining to defecate due to the severe constipation caused by prescription opiate addiction. And that that is how he went. Another star that you may be aware of is Judy Garland. Now, do you recognize that name off the top of your head, Gab? Yes, you do. I've heard the name. Okay, okay. So you recognize it, but you don't know who that is. Judy Garland is most famous for her role as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. So if you remember, like, that girl there that was in the beginning, like, it's a very classic look that people imagine. And that was filmed when she was only 17. Judy Garland would after the magic of the Wizard of Oz, suffer a mostly miserable and tumultuous adult life. She went through five husbands and countless pills until one day in 1969, when her latest husband found her dead in the bathroom after an overdose of barbiturates with blood just streaming down her mouth. Lovely. Like, it's it's pretty famous for how... Um, how, how different rulers have died. And honestly, I think on that note, uh, I'm going to end that there because this we've covered a lot of dumb ways that people have died, but we're really going into um, in, into a lot of toilet stuff. So I pretty much went and dedicated the next part of this exclusively to toilets. Like this is just really all dumb, horrible ways that people have died in the bathroom. So part two is just toilet edition. Yeah, part two is just toilet edition. So, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Now, the second episode of this is going to be going up on Patreon immediately. So for those of you that are going to experience and see this, uh, or sorry, see this, hear this, on Spotify and Apple. Please note that if you're hearing this when it comes out, you can get early access to the next episode that is going to be coming out on Patreon. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to end that right there. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone, and I'll see you next time, my hosts.
Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.